Well, hey everybody, surprise, uh, Yolanda and I are not there today. Um, we came down with a little bit of a, some ick earlier in the week, and so we both felt it was important that all three of us would stay home and make sure that we didn't spread any germs to anybody. So you are getting, instead of our live selves, this video um, straight to you there at Blessed City this morning. We really wish we were there. Um, on one cool note, though, next week, um, one important note before we get into next week, um, or into the sermon today, um, there is a team coming called the Ekbalo YWAM team, and they're going to be coming next Sunday. They're going to be ministering with our kids. They're going to be ministering um, with worship. They're going to be ministering with testimony and song um, next week, and so you're not going to want to miss it. A lot of stories of God doing amazing things in a lot of people's lives, so uh, you don't want to miss next next Sunday, um, but as for this Sunday, um, if you got a Bible, go to Acts 16, and um, we're going to be starting at verse 16. But before we get there, I just wanted to kind of recap. Um, the, last, the last couple months, I've just really felt this theme from the Lord on victory. And it all started with several months ago. I was preaching out of Joshua 6, and in the story of Joshua, we have a guy um, who has given very specific instructions to God's promise for his life. And sometimes victory only happens, and honestly, most of the time, victory only happens, God's victory, when we follow God's instructions. We follow what he is saying, we follow his plan, for his purposes, we receive his victory. The next story we stepped into was Gideon. And Gideon was a guy that was thought of himself as the lowest, the least, the smallest, the not that incredible. And God stripped away from Gideon. God stripped away from Gideon all of his different resource. He stripped away um, tons of men. He stripped away his confidence. He stripped away his idols. And the story of Gideon is victory from the place, not by his strength, but by his. Just like there's a verse that says, not by might, not by power, but by his spirit, says the Lord. And so God wants to bring his victory through his plan, but God also wants to bring his victory not through our ability, but through his ability. Today, um, I wanted to talk about a guy named Paul and another guy named Silas and the victory they saw from a jail cell. And uh, today, the title of the message today is Victory on the Other Side of Suffering. So let's pray. And then uh, we'll jump in. So, uh, Spirit of the Lord, I just thank you that you gave me a word for today. And I'm asking you, God, that you would speak uh, through this word. We pray every word of Jeremy would fade and every word from heaven would be come loud and live to our hearts. Uh, we just pray that in Jesus' name. Spirit of the Lord, come and bring your victory. Uh, bring your victory to us. In your name I pray. Amen. Um, on the day of... Acts, or the day of Pentecost, in the book of Acts. Um, we talked about this last Sunday, but there was the Holy Spirit fell on 120 people. And these 120 people ended up going all throughout the known world, sharing Christ. They, they preached the gospel to a whole bunch of people, and God showed up in a powerful way. And two of those people was a guy named Paul and a guy, a guy named Silas. And they were going all throughout Turkey, sharing Christ and showing. And they got to a city called Troas. And in the city of Troas, um, one night Paul is in bed, or he's at, he's late at night and he's sleeping. And 
in the middle of the night, he gets a vision of a man. And the man is standing in front of him, pleading with him. And it says this, plead, please, would you come and you help us? Paul comes out of the vision and and in that he recognizes that the man was a man from Macedonia. Now, Macedonia is, if you think of, um, here's Turkey and here's Greece. Right on the north side of Greece is this place called Macedonia. And that place didn't have anybody that knew Jesus. And so here is Paul and here is Silas in the city of Troas. And the next day they get on a boat or they get there somehow and they go up towards uh, Macedonia and they end up in a city called Philippi. Now Philippi was, uh, it was a Roman um, colony. It was, it was a big town. It was a lot of people from Italy and, and it uh, had a bunch of retired military personnel there. And in one way you could say it's like the, the Texas of the Roman Empire, right? So it's like this super patriotic place. And so here's Paul and Silas coming to a town where they're all proclaiming Caesar is Lord. And here is Paul and Silas saying, no, no, Jesus is Lord. So they go to this town and it says that they actually went to the outskirts of Philippi. Um, and there they are and they met a few leading women of the city, leading men of the city. And the first thing that they encounter is actually not persecution, but actually they encounter um, favor. And a bunch of these people come to know Jesus. So then three, four days into it, we're going to pick up our story in, um, in Acts 16, verse 16. So starting at verse 16, here's, here's what it was. As Paul and Silas, they were going to the place of prayer. They were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept on doing for several days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus, come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Um... I think it's really interesting, and if you look all throughout Jesus' life, and if you look through the life of any believer um, who did anything of worth in their walk with Christ, you'll find that they're always on their way or coming from the place of prayer. And I, I have a couple different thoughts for you, because I've had this conversation with a few different people as we've walked through at Bless the City, because we, we really emphasize prayer, right? So we have our Tuesday night prayer meeting that we encourage everybody to go to. We, we have the prayer before the service on Sunday mornings, encouraging everyone to be there. We're encouraging everybody to have their own place of prayer. And you might feel like prayer, like what's, what's the connection or what's, what's God, what really matters with prayer, but I can really tell you that your life in God hinges on your place in prayer. It says in John 15, Jesus said this, he said this. He says, as you abide in me, I just actually, I wrote it down, so let me read this here. Verse 4 and 5, it says this, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. 
Martin Luther said this. He said, um, I have so much to do today, I need to pray at least three hours. And there's, there's a reality that when it comes to the things of God, you cannot accomplish the things of God with the energy of man. We have to always be coming from or going to the place of prayer. But, but in that, if you're finding prayers intimidating, I just wanted to say a couple things to you. One, um, you need a place. A couple things that just, I think are really helpful. One, do you have a place? And that place, honestly, for a lot of you, a lot of us, is your car. Um, a sanctuary where it can just be you. Or, or maybe your place is um, you go for a walk. Or maybe your place is you put on your headphones while you're going around the house. Um, maybe your place is, is just a simple place. I think the second thing is that you need to have a time. Schedule your time with God around things that you always do. Waking up, going to sleep, eating food. Um, your drive to work, even if it's five minutes in the bathroom, whatever it is, honor God with your time. And I found this, you guys, that time will grow. As you give God the simple time that you have, even if it's a couple minutes, God will give you grace for that time. Um, the next thing I'd say is that worship and the word is so critical to your time with God. I have found that when I try to pray, but I do it without the Bible or I do it without worship, it's it's a little rough. But when I in, insert worship, when I insert God's word, I find God's voice comes alive to me. Things things shift. And and the other thing I'd say with a good prayer hack is this: have a notepad ready. One, God wants to talk to you, and two, there's a lot of distractions that come our way. And I find that if I have something that I can write down all those things in, about down, um, then I'm able to focus on my time with God a lot easier. So, but anyway, I just wanted to say all those things. And um, it says this in verse 16, as they were going to the place of prayer, they were met by a slave girl who had the spirit of divination. When you think spirit of divination, a lot of us probably think of like a fortune teller, um, somebody that that uh, pra practice the arts or a witchcraft thing. And, and that would be true in this space. Um, the Bible, when it talks about divination, it's, it's really talking about manipulation. Divination is the manipulation of spiritual things and the manipulation of natural things. And in God, this is the interesting thing, if you think about the supernatural from the world standpoint and the supernatural from God's standpoint. In God... There is no manipulation needed. There's no need to get to, to strive or push or pull to get anything that you need. But in the world system, that is how things are often done. To coerce, to flatter, to, to gain, to push and pull. But God says, trust in my promises. So you can always tell the difference between the spirit of God and the spirit of divination in that the spirit of God will never manipulate or try to coerce or twist anything, but he always comes with a simple trust in who God is. This is the difference between the spirit of manipulation and the spirit of Christ. Because the reason why I'm saying this is it's funny if you read in this passage. So verse 17, it says this, she followed Paul and us and she cried out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. She was saying something true. She was following Paul and Silas and these people around, all around the town, and she was saying, 
Follow these guys. They're proclaiming truth. And all the while, she had a false spirit. So I think that there is, this is such an accurate portrayal of what's going on in our world today. Is there's lots of people that say lots of good things. But there is a difference between the Holy Spirit and a false spirit. And it says this too, in, and it says this in 1 John. It says that, um, it, it talks about the spirit of error. And it says that, that in 1 John 4, 6, it says, this is John talking, and he says, We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us, and whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Here's something to know when it comes to knowing whether something is from God or is not from God. One thing, people can always say true things, but the question is, do they say it in the right spirit? Is there a spirit of humility? Is there a spirit of teachability? Is there a spirit of love? You ever heard someone say something true, but say it in a way that wasn't loving, wasn't kind, wasn't filled with the fruit of the spirit? Because people can say all sorts of true things, but it says in Galatians, it says that the, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. Against these things, there is no law. So when we recognize the fruit of the Spirit, that there is a thing that would always draw, yes, truth in fact, but also truth in spirit. This is a really big part of knowing if something is accurate or not. And I, I think it's so critical that we know that, that God desires to speak truth and in, in deception, like the spirit of divination, she was saying facts, but the spirit that she was coming with was not something that was going to draw people to Jesus. In fact, even though she was saying something that was good, she was a distraction from the very thing that God wanted to do to draw people to him. So Paul, greatly annoyed, cast the demon out because he wanted something better for the people of Philippi. And, and this makes a good question, and I think it's, this is a really important question for all of us to answer, is that is, who and what do I allow to continue to speak into my life? It says in 2 Corinthians 6, uh, 14, it says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what right partnership has righteousness with lawlessness. Now this isn't saying you can't be friends with people that don't know Jesus or ask good tax advice from a tax attorney that doesn't know Jesus or you know something like that. But the point is is simply this that the priorities of a person who knows and loves Jesus and the priorities of someone that does not know and love Jesus are different. And so we need to as believers know who is speaking into our life, who is, who is speaking into my dreams, who is speaking into my future, who is, who is helping form the steps and the way that I'm walking on. Are those people with God's priorities at heart, God's priorities in mind? Or are those people with pragmatic priorities from the world? Or maybe even with this, this other thing, a, a demonic influence that's it's, it's not seeking to honor God, but seeking to honor the flesh. You know, a spirit of divination, the whole point of a spirit of divination was to help people in, in moving forward in the things that were important to them. And I can tell you that, that there are spirits that do speak to people in our world, but 
But how many know that they aren't going to tell you the plan and purpose that God has for your life? They're going to tell you the plan and purpose that man has over your life or that Satan has over your life. And God has a much better plan than something you or I will come up with. Who do I go for counsel? Who influences me? What others in my life value will grow in my heart too. As I said earlier in John 15, 4 and 5, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can't do anything. So there's Paul and Silas, and uh, they cast out the demon, and it says this in verse 19. But when the owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and they dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrate, they said, These men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. And the crowd joined in and attacked them. The magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into the prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Can you imagine? You, you get a vision from God in this place called Troas. You, you immediately obey. You get on the next boat. You're in Philippi. Several people come to know Jesus. You cast out a demon off of this this uh, slave girl, and the next thing you know, you're sitting in an inner cell of a prison for obeying God. I wonder if Paul wondered in that moment if he should have bothered. Maybe he should have left the girl alone. After all, she was delivered, but they were beaten and they were put in jail. You know, following Jesus is costly. There are, uh, today I was looking it up earlier, there was, there's about 310 million persecuted Christians around the globe. 310 million believers, people that are following Christ, and they're losing their homes, they're losing their families, they've been beaten, lost their job, they uh, receive physical abuse, violence, and in 2020 there was over 3,000 of them that were, were killed. For their faith. In China in 2020, there was about nine, I think about 7,000 churches that were forcibly closed. And all of this is from the simple places that they're trying to follow and honor Jesus. Following Jesus is costly. It, it takes a lot from us to follow Jesus. Verse 25 said this, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. You know, I doubt that Paul and Silas felt like worshiping and praising. You know, and I think faith often has nothing to do with how we feel and everything to do with what we know is true. Nothing except sleep, probably in a good bed, sound like a good idea right about then. But there they were, 
in the inner cell with their feet in stocks, not being able to move, not feeling comfortable, not knowing anything good except knowing that God sent them there. And they had a choice to make. They had a choice to say, here I am. I'm going to give up hope. I'm going to get angry. I'm going to roll over. I'm going to uh, whatever. I'm going to, I'm going to, they had all the choices of frustration, all the choices of aggravation, all the choices of despair and hopelessness. And they had another choice. And that was the choice of worship. What do you do at your midnight? What do I do at my midnight? What do I do when the wall seems to cave in and nothing seems to work? What do I do when there doesn't seem to be any deliverance? When there doesn't seem to be any loud voice from heaven saying, I've come to save you right now, but all you have is your uncomfortable space, your frustration in yourself and in your circumstances, and there you are in jail, stuck. And guess what? A bunch of people are watching. I like what one preacher said a little while ago. He said, so when you're squeezed, what comes out? I, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm squeezed, not the best things come out. And I really wish that different things came out. I know this much that when I'm squeezed, that, that, that when those things come out, it is God's working in me. Sometimes when it's not good things, it's God's working in me so that I might be refined to be what I'm called to be. It says in James 1, it says that, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you go through various trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and perseverance must have its finished work. Why? Because he's making you perfect. He's filling out your joy. He's transforming everything to make it into what it needs to be. And you won't be disappointed. Let me, you know, let me say that again. Make my face a little big in the camera. You are not going to be disappointed with the finished product of what God has in your life. You know, we look at ourselves and we see our failures and we see our frustrations and we see our, our, all the places where we don't make it. And God is simply looking at you and me and he's saying, I'm going to finish the work that I started in you. Whether through difficulty or whether through good things, I'm going to finish the work that I started in you. At midnight, the prisoners were listening. Sometimes I think we were hoping that maybe no one would listen, right? when we're frustrated, when we're tired, when we're having a hard time. But people are always watching. I was, I was listening to this preacher talk a little while ago, and he, he preached on Sunday, and then uh, a couple days later in the week, he, would, he went on the bus. And when he was on the bus, uh, he went up to the bus driver, and uh, the bus driver told him a mountain. He paid the fare, and then he sat down, and when he was a couple stops in or two, three stops in, he pulled the money out of his pocket and he noticed that he actually had been given more money uh, than he was supposed to. And so he sat there for a while and then when he got to his, his stop, he, he went up to the bus driver and said, hey, I just want you to know that you gave me more money than you were supposed to um, for the fare, so I wanted to give you the money back. 
And the bus driver smirked and said, Huh, I wondered if you were going to notice. Uh, you see, I was at your church on Sunday, and I just wanted to see if you were actually a person of integrity or if you were just one of those preachers. And it was like, I think like 45 cents or something. But people are watching and they're seeing how are we going to respond in our attitudes and in our character and who we are. Can they see Jesus on us? And sometimes I think we can say yes, and sometimes we can say, man, I hope so. But God wants to show himself through us. The people were listening. They see our attitude, they see our actions, they see us when we, everything falls apart. I know this much that is that this simple thing is that what I deposit in my heart today is going to be what comes out of my heart tomorrow. And, and so I actually, from one of my favorite preachers, he, he gave me this idea that you, he takes in his notes in his phone, he'll take um, favorite scripture, he'll put favorite, um, favorite quotes or things that God has spoken to in the past to remind himself, this is what God has said, this is who God is, and this is what he says about my future. And then when he goes through a difficult time, he reminds himself by going through that list again and going, this is who God is, this is what he said. And this is where he's leading me. What I deposit in my heart today is going to be what pours out of my heart tomorrow. About midnight, they were praising, praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening. Verse 26 says this, And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. Could it be that the freedom that you know in Christ is right around the corner, not just for you, but for someone else that's listening? Deliverance, healing, transformation. It might be one moment away of people worshiping praying, saying, man, God, I trust you. Somebody reaching out and saying, let's just pray right now and expect that God's going to move. They may not even know that being free is an option for them. But as you worship and as you pray, God might just set not just you free, but them free. We're called to model freedom. We're called to model deliverance. We're called to lead the way when it comes to trusting God in the places of all the things and miracles that we want to see. And then those that maybe have never experienced it and never known that it was even an option are going to encounter the living God that we've come to know. Paul and Silas didn't know that deliverance was going to happen for sure, but they knew that God could. There are people in your life that don't even know deliverance is an option. And God wants to set them free. He wants to show them Jesus. Verse 27 says that when the, the jailer woke up and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we're all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, trembling with fear. He fell down before fallen Silas. 
Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must we do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And, he baptized, and they were baptized at once. Then he brought them up into the house and set food before them and rejoiced with his entire household that he had believed in God. Guys, this is the gospel. The jailer called for the lights, rushed in trembling with fear, fell down before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole household. What is it to believe? It's like sitting in a chair, putting your full weight, your full trust in the person, Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. God so loved that he sent his son to earth, gave him a body, suffered and died, bled, poured out his lifeblood for you and I for the payment of all of our sin, all of our wrongdoing. And then he rose from the dead, paying the price for all of the sin of mankind, and now we can follow him in his resurrection because he paid the way. Jesus is the only way to heaven, not because God's a meanie and says this is the only way, but no, because he's the only lifeboat that's not sinking. He's the only one that actually paid the price. He's the only one that has laid the foundation and broken the way so that we can step in. He's the only way. Some of you here today might be in that same space and you've been seeking God for a while and you need to know that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to say, Jesus, I make you the Lord and the leader of my life. And it's time to be a part of God's people and it's time to be a part um, of God's ways. And that means the place of prayer. That means the place of God's word. That means, God, I'm not just reading this Bible, but it's reading me. And I need to step into that place of saying, I'm going to let you lead my life today. And today needs to be that day for you. And for others of you, you're in the place of a trial and you're sitting in your, with your feet in stocks at midnight and there's a place of worship and there's a place of a song that God wants to pour out through you. Here, watch this video. A sister wrote me a note at one time and was, can you find a God of mercy in the book of Job? And I, I wrote her back and I said, yes, I think I can. God could have left Job alone. Years ago, I suffered an injury at the time I was a pastor and a worship leader and uh, since that time my strength is very
very small and it's painful for me to speak so I, I have about an hour a day that I can manage and then the pain shuts me down so you can all do the math. When this happened to me, it threw me into crisis in pretty much every department of my life. Threw me into professional crisis. What does a pastor do that can't talk? What does a worship leader do that can't sing? Found myself in a theological crisis. God, how can I be loving you, serving you, giving you my life, giving you my best, walking in obedience, walking in faith and love, pouring my life out for the gospel, and take a hit like this. I didn't have a theology for that. I found myself in the darkest place in my life. Nobody had any answers. And all I had was this. For five years or so, my prayer life was basically three words. I love you. I don't understand you, but I love you. Over and over, just giving him my love in the darkest place in my life. I've discovered it's the most powerful thing you can do. God could have left Job alone. He could have said, have your bickering wife, have your ten wayward children, have your safe little world, have your little bubble. But the Lord said, Job, I love you too much to leave you to yourself. I love you too much to leave you to the smallness of what you know. But if God had not interrupted Job's life and if Job had not walked through a living hell, we would never have heard of the man. But because it all shook down and he stood and said, I love you. I worship you. In his darkest hour, the Lord has given, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Psalm 11, verse 5. The Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked his soul hates. So if you're righteous, he tests you. And if you're wicked, he leaves you alone. The last thing you want is for God to leave you alone. Lord, do not leave me alone. I have got to know you. I have got to see you. I have got to have you and I want everything you've got for me Lord do not leave me to myself interrupt my life if you have to test me if you have to 
each and every one of us. And the last thing we want is for him to leave us alone. I love what Bob said in that video because um, he said for years he, he didn't understand God. But all he had to say is, I don't understand you, but I love you. And sometimes, you guys, we don't understand the flow and the what's happening in our life with God, but we can say this, the most powerful prayer that you can ever pray is God, here I am, here's my heart, here's my life, here's all that I am, I give it to you freely and willingly. I don't understand you, but I love you, I trust you, and I follow you. That's what I wanted to share today. Um, Nick's gonna come and he's gonna lead us all in a song of worship. And I encourage you in that space. Maybe you're walking in a place of a trial and it's time to just say to God, I don't understand you, but I love you. I give you my heart. I give you all that I have. I don't understand, but I'm trusting you. I'm putting my full weight on you. And some other of you here today, you might be like, I, I need to actually make him the Lord of my life, the leader of my life. And I need to, like this chair I'm sitting on, I need to sit, put my full weight on Jesus. Today's the day. Today's the day of salvation, you guys. Today's the day. Bless you. Let me pray. And then Nick's going to lead us. God, I just thank you for your love for us. And we all together right now, um, maybe for the first time, maybe uh, for the hundredth time, we just simply say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Lead me in every area of my life. I trust in your finished work on the cross, your blood that paid the way for all my sin, all my failure, all my shortcomings. I thank you that you love me, that you've called me. I thank you that you didn't just die, but you rose from the dead. And I commit my life right now to following you. And I'm not just going to be silent about it, but I'm going to let the world know that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. Amen. Love you all. See you soon. Bye.